It's time for episode number 97 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, July 29th, 2015. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that only takes up 148th of your day. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and I'm joined, as always, across the internet by my co-host, Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Dan. How's it going? It's going well, but we got to stay on, on uh, schedule for only going to take up 148th of people's Well, day. then, quick, introduce our guests. Oh, okay. Excellent. That sounds great. To my left is uh, Giant Space Cat's own Brianna Wu. Welcome back, Brianna. What's crack-a-lacking? And to my left is uh, Charlie McFarlane, one of my uh, former co-workers at Macworld. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. All right. Four topics, 30 minutes, or 148th of a day. That is, prefer. yeah. I, that is how I prefer. I prefer fractions. <laughs> none of this none of this decimal nonsense. That's good. Good. You're old school like that. I mean, like, I am. like with a pencil and a, an eraser <laughs> and a chalkboard. Uh, what's your topic, Dan? Let's get it. Kick us off. I'm so glad you asked, Jason. Uh, I heard the news the, today. Oh, boy. Uh, I heard this news the other day that the T-Mobile is launching a new promotion whereby if you buy an iPhone 6, you can get a free upgrade to the new iPhone when it comes out in the fall. Um, and this is kind of the latest in, in sort of T-Mobile's attempts at what it's branding as the uncarrier experience. And I got to wonder, are they crazy? <laughs> are they crazy like a fox? Like, is this a, a, like a really clever like promotional plan here? Or does everybody else like me just kind of wonder, like, how do these guys make any money? Um, and, it, you know, also related to that, do any of the things that they're doing sort of make you take a second look at them and make you think, oh, maybe maybe that's not a bad approach. Maybe that's T-Mobile is something I would sign up for. Or you're like, no, those, those guys are those guys are nuts. Bree, what do you think? Well, I think the the most awesome part of T-Mobile is watching all the drums that they get into <laughs> with other carriers on Twitter. That's great. Um, you know, I feel like something that really informs the way I um, look at these things is, you know, the work we're doing right now in the venture capital scene. And, you know, the truth is when you get there with a bunch of accounting and business people, like, they put those Harvard degrees and MBAs to use in the most convoluted <laughs> schemes to find valuation and money there. And I have no doubt that someone sat down and figured out the, the math of, you know, putting these phones out there, taking them back in, you know, getting the new version out there in a way that made it work or was close enough to at least seem revenue positive in the long run. So I think it's, um, I think, frankly, it's kind of part of T-Mobile's, I don't want to say desperation, but, you know, they're clearly not able to compete the way that, you know, Verizon and AT&T do. So I think that they're really trying to get out of the box. Um, that said, I think this, you know, uncarrier stuff is just complete BS, you know, it's just not feasible. So I don't know, it seems like kind of a gimmick to me. Yeah, well, it is a gimmick. It's totally a gimmick, but I understand why they're doing it. And, and I mean, Bree said it. These are these T-Mobile needs to uh, beat these huge carrier co competitors, and those guys are playing keep away. Those guys are saying, um, "We just, you know, we're just printing money here. We just want to keep keep it going." And T-Mobile wants to 
do wants to compete and competition you can't compete by offering uh better deals to consumers so that's what they're doing and it, it, I, what i love about t-mobile is that this is exactly why competition is important they have a strategy that they can do and still make some money by uh stealing people from the other the, from the big guys um and the other guys don't do it except to respond to them because why would they cut into their profits and t-mobile has a reason which is they're going to go out of business if they don't grow their their business so it's better for consumers this way. Well, I think it's interesting. When we went to get our last iPhones, um, I was all prepared to shell over a bunch of money, which is how it's been in the past. But um, we didn't. I We went to AT&T. They offered to buy back our old phones. And then we were essentially just given new phones and sent out into the world. Wait, were you given jumpsuits? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been really cool. Um, I, you know, if you, if you think back to how it used to work before the smartphones, the phones were, were almost disposable. You, where they were making their money were the contracts. And it seemed to me that that is where we're starting to move again, like how they're making that work. I don't know. But that was my experience getting my last phone was suddenly they did not expect me to give them a big stack of money. And I was expected to be getting new phones as soon as they came out. Which works for me. Uh, well, yeah, I think you're totally right that the value proposition has changed a lot in the last few years, especially with all these new programs. All, all the carriers are offering these sort of like upgrade at like more frequent intervals plans. Um, and I think they're realizing that the what's driving people to stick around is getting the latest and greatest phone. So they make it easier for customers to do that, the more likely they are to hold on to their customers rather than having people jump to other networks. So I, I think T-Mobile is very clever. Uh, I'm curious about the long-term sustainability of what they're doing, but I a lot of the stuff they do appeals to me, like on you know on larger like data caps, unlimited data, data international data, you know, and so they're they're doing a lot of clever things that I think we wish we would see from the bigger carriers, and and that sort of not to use over, use an overused word, but that disruption is it seems to be getting somewhere with that. So it's interesting. Thank you all, uh, Brianna. What's your topic this week? Okay, so, you know, I got the sense before we were talking on the show that um, I'm the only person here that has to deal with Windows on a daily basis, being a software engineer. So, uh, because sadly, you know, no offense to Windows people, but this is um, something I have to deal with, with Unreal and a lot of distributed networks and, you know, a lot of the 3D applications we use, um, like, for instance, uh you know, 3D Max is a Windows only program. And, you know, even with Metal being implemented for Unreal Engine, um, you know, it still runs much faster in Windows. So, you know, Windows is something we all have to think about at our company. Um, so I have been watching Windows 10 coming out with, with great interest. And so Mashable and also um, The Verge came out with reviews yesterday, which were largely positive. So you know, before I kind of give my comments, on it, I wanted to throw it out to the group. Like, what do you kind of think about Windows 10 and you know the relevance of Microsoft? So I have a uh, a Windows 8 install, or I did oh. until I had horrible problems with the El Capitan beta and had to wipe it, but I, it'll come back at some point, a boot camp install. And um, I am completely at sea 
in Windows Windows 8. Um, the, the, I think that's the bottom line for me as somebody who occasionally uses Windows is I know how to orient in Windows like the, the lessons I learned from Windows XP about how you move around in Windows. And when they went to this like hybrid interface where there's the, the tile stuff, the metro stuff, and then there's also this other stuff that looks like the desktop and you're like, where, where do I go? And oh, I pressed, I pressed the Windows key. Now suddenly everything is wrong and I don't know where I am anymore. It's awful. It is so bad. And I understand how many Windows users feel about how they, they like don't, they're all trying to just turn off this stuff. And the promise of Windows 10, and, and it sounds like it's a good update, and, it, and they're taking a page from Apple, and they're making it a free update. Essentially, it's free with an asterisk, but it's free, especially for people who, who use Windows 8. Um, I think that's all fantastic. But it is also sort of the apology release. It's all about um, kind of backing up backing away from some of the big UI mistakes that they made with the last couple of versions and letting uh, a PC be a PC again. And I applaud that. That's great. The last time I really used Windows seriously was when I was injured and the only place you could use voice recognition software was on a PC. You remember way back then, Jason? I do. <laughs> I do. You were, the, you were the editor at Macworld that had a PC. <laughs> That was a long, long time ago. Really, now that I don't work for a company, um, I don't have to, to pay much attention to Windows anymore. The thing that struck me was how similar the features for Windows 10 sound to our OS 10 features right now. Um, Built-in apps that work across your devices. Um, the best screen is the one you're on, like that you can go between the devices. Uh, it's it's interesting to me how much convergence there is between the two platforms. Again, it seems like they come together and come apart uh, regularly. And fr from what I'm seeing, it looks like they're really coming together again. Yeah, I, I too have not used Windows regularly in a very long time, probably since my career is in IT and web development. I really actually am impressed that they brought the Cortana voice, uh, you know, intelligent agent to the desktop since I kind of still want Siri on my Mac. So I always I feel like, well, Microsoft seems to be ahead of the game there. Um, and the integration that they've sort of ruled in with uh, Xbox makes me interested as an Xbox owner. I'm glad to see that Microsoft is still trying to improve Windows since, you know, I feel like they, at these days, we talked a little bit about competition with the cell phone carriers before. And I think it's good that uh, the Mac has made such huge inroads because it encourages Microsoft to not sit on its laurels and to keep working to make Windows better and better. Even if they have that huge, like, installed base, they, they aren't content to just sort of sit on that. They actually feel like they have to improve things. And I think that's to the positive. So I hope Windows 10 ends up being as good as the early reviews seem to suggest. The reason I really got into Apple in the first place was they were offering a an experience for doing professional work that was drastically superior to Windows at the time. Um, I think this is the point where we have to sit down and have an honest conversation in 2015. I agree with some of the pieces by people like Marco that say, you know, kind of the quality of Apple operating systems has drastically dropped. Um, Yosemite was a buggy mess for me. Mavericks was better, but it wasn't great. As these new upgrades are coming out with, with Apple, what I do is I sit there and I constantly question if my underlying assumptions are correct. And, you know, so the question to me is, 
will using an Apple operating system give me that bug-free, stress-free experience in 2015? And I think that answer is increasingly unclear. So when I look at the Windows 10 reviews, I see a lot of stuff there that I like. And I see a, a hundred different improvements there that make me go, wow, as a, a software engineer and as someone that's burnt up three Macs doing, you know, rendering and 3D work at this point because the logic board can't handle it, is this a better operating system for me? So, you know, I don't know what the answer is to that because I haven't, I haven't, you know, used it yet, but I see Microsoft making extremely smart decisions. And I see a company that has a direction and a purpose that they have not had in a decade. So, you know, I'm really excited to use this. I doubt it will get me to switch away from, you know, OS 10, but I'm very happy to see Microsoft at the top of their game again. All right, uh, that's two topics down, two more to go. It's halftime. This halftime at Clockwise is brought to you by Luminous. Luminos is an astronomy app made by a small family business called Wobbleworks. They've got great backgrounds. They worked at companies like Apple, Microsoft, and Oracle. Luminos itself has been developed for more than a decade, and it's been on the App Store for nearly five years. It's a comprehensive space simulator. I love space things. Makes it easy to launch into space and see everything up close. Any astronomy feature that you're going to need is built in. Thousands of years of eclipses, satellite tracking, planet and moon maps, tens of thousands of asteroids and comets, millions of stars. It, the universe has more stars than Luminos, but it's uh, it's uh, still uh, more than you would ever want in terms of stars. Meteor shower simulations, wireless telescope control, video tutorials, the list goes on. Wobbleworks pride themselves on great craftsmanship and uh, attention to detail. Go to great lengths to make sure they get the features just right. For example, to create the most complete deep space image catalog of any astronomy app on any platform, they hand process more than 13,000 images and precisely align them with half a billion stars. This is, like I said, in development for more than a decade. There's even an Apple Watch app that will give you live animated sky charts with full details on planets, stars, and satellites perfect for stargazing. Luminos, a quality app. It's received love and care from Wobbleworks. One price, no paid upgrades, no in-app purchases. Find out more for yourself at wobbleworks.com. W-O-B-B-L-E-W-O-R-K-S.com. And thank you to Luminos by Wobbleworks for sponsoring Halftime of Clockwise. Okay. Time to get my head out of the stars and back into clockwise with my topic. Uh, a lot of talk lately about intrusive web ads, user tracking, interstitials, pre-rolls, all sorts of stuff that uh, gets between you and content on the web and allows that content to be created. I want to turn this question on its head, though, a little bit and ask you all, um, imagine not all advertising is bad, I think. Some people are allergic to advertising, but in general, I think not all advertising is bad. That ad that I just read, I thought that was pretty cool, and I want to go buy that app now. So that's what I wanted to ask you. Um, what's an example of advertising that you actually like or have liked in the past? Of course, accepting uh, that podcast ads are always fantastic. Sholly, what do you think? Well, I, I think advertising is great when it entertains or enlightens. Um, I was looking for examples of viral ads uh, when I was thinking about this, and I totally got all teary again watching the always like a girl ad. Did you guys see that? Um, though I, I was looking for it in particular, and I remembered it, but I actually did not remember that it was always that made it. So, you know, sometimes the coolest ads aren't necessarily doing their job of driving you to their product. Um, but 
I like it most when advertisements give me helpful information. Um, when I was planning my wedding, for instance, 15 long years ago, uh, I bought all the bridal magazines. Yes, the paper magazines. Um, as much for the ads as for the articles, I wanted to see the dresses and the cakes. I was looking for ideas. Um, recently, I've been updating all of our earthquake preparedness kits, and I didn't know where to get stuff. So I've been looking very closely at the Google ads that appear after I search. I've been looking at all of the of Amazon's featured recommendations, and these were really helpful for me. They revealed companies so that I could compare them, and they showed me products I'd never heard of. Um, I discovered the Life Straw portable water purifier that way, just from a you know featured recommendation that popped up when I was looking for water stuff, and I ended up getting two Life Straw water bottles for my car kits because I saw them in the ads. So I think those are the two times when ads are great, you know, either when they're just fun to watch because they're good or when they actually are helping you find something. Yeah, I, I agree with Charlie. I think those are two really important sort of aspects for ads to hit. In particular, I don't, a lot of people get upset with the whole like, oh, I went and searched for this thing on Amazon and now it's showing me ads for those things. Like, well, I don't know if it shows me like, A, at least I know I'm interested in those things. And B, if it's actually going to show me helpful information that's like, oh, this thing is on sale or you were looking at that, but this competitive product is also pretty good and, and a lot cheaper or something like that. I actually have no objection to that. I mean, that's what ads do, right? Like, you know, when, when I was a kid, uh, I remember we used to flow, flip through uh, every Sunday, the giant Sunday paper would show up and there would be the inserts from all the different stores. And I would flip through like the Best Buy ones and stuff like that because I was curious to see if there was like cool stuff that was on sale this week or whatever. And it's like, that's that's the whole purpose of advertising to me is like, well, what about this product that you might be interested in that, you know, this it could appeal to you because it's on sale or because it's a drop to a cheaper price or whatever. So, um, I think that there's a lot of goodwill to be built there. I think that Charlie's point also about like ads that are entertaining, they don't necessarily drive you to the products, but I think they, uh, they give you some sort of, they soften your stance on that company, right? Like if you see an ad where a company is willing to, you know, make fun at itself or crack a joke or something like that, I think that builds a lot of potential brand, not necessarily loyalty, but like a brand awareness and the idea like, oh, well, that company, I've heard of that company. They made that funny video about that thing. Well, I should at least check out what they do. And it doesn't mean that it translates directly into sales, but I think it's a smart move because it really builds an identity for that company. So, um, you know, you look at a lot of Apple's ads, for example, and, you know, a lot of them don't necessarily dwell on the specs or what their product does really well, but you just sort of provoke a feeling in you or uh, some amusement or something like that. Or um, I think that all those are, are powerful things to build brand identity. So one of the things that happens when you are uh, a woman in your mid-30s is you are constantly getting ads for baby stuff if it's targeted to you. So I constantly have stuff, you know, just every day sent to me that's about, you know, baby cribs or baby food and all of that. So, you know, like I feel I'm often stunned by how much targeting targeted ads get it wrong. Um, so, you know, I think the central problem that 
ads have to answer is like exactly what everyone here is saying. The the question like, is this entertaining? Um, you know, for us at GSX, like when we ask ourselves what kinds of ads are effective, like what we want to spend money on, you know, podcasting is really, I think it's fantastic um, medium for your message. And the reason is if I'm on the verge and I'm looking at an ad, um, you know, very frequently it's getting in the way of getting to that content. If I'm hearing an ad on Clockwise, you know, I'm hearing Jason Snell actually talk to me and say, like, you know, here is this, here's why it's important. Um, and I think that has a lot of value. So um, I think it's really that question of making it super relevant to your audience. I just have to say there's been a lot of, um, you know, in, in spinning off this topic, you know, I think the thing that really has set this off is all the the talk lately about um, intrusive ad models that, um, you know, tend to load a lot of data on your phone. I know iMore has been called out and The Verge has been called out. So I think one of the problems with that is if you talk to any content creator, they are going to be much more interested in like they would much rather just be directly paid for writing the content. We as consumers have voted with our dollars. And again, and again, and again, and again, you know, we kind of choose to go with this model that, you know, where we won't pay for content. So, you know, they have to go out there and spend a lot of their time getting advertisers. So, you know, I think it's one of these things where we kind of get the politicians that we deserve. And I kind of think we have the, um, you know, the ad models that we deserve too in consuming internet content. Thank you all. I mean, I, I have fond memories of um, of uh, pouring through the ads in the back of computer magazines when I was oh. first super into the oh. Mac, and oh, you yeah. know those the the those ads were providing information. There's, I think, the problem with ads is they get in your way, and that makes them annoying. I think w- the web has trained a whole generation to hate advertising and think it's always useless because it's been so aggressive and annoying. Um, but it doesn't have to be. There are there are good ads. I do think podcast ads are good. I think some of the web ads are good. I, I think as long as they don't pretend to be something they're not and it's clear that they're ads they can be helpful and useful and you can disregard them if you want to um i yeah i do think there's a little bit of a spiral here like like brie uh, alluded to where we've got the ads we we uh we deserve because of the way we set up the web back in the early days and uh i think there'll be a way out of it because the fact is marketers want to reach people and they want to reach people who are probably not going to come to them directly but are going to come to them via some other source and they're going to want to pay money to reach them via the other source so in the end i think it will all work out, but it may be a very painful way to get there. I hope that in the end, what we get is better advertising that people can see and evaluate on their own and disregard it at their leisure instead of having it uh, pop up in their face and they can't, you know, they can't avoid it because that's what makes people hate advertising and allergic to it and and ignore it. All right. We have uh, one more topic left to go. Jolly, what's your topic? My topic is an almost back to school topic. And my question is whether or not I should buy my soon-to-be-a-middle-schooler son a Kindle or not. I was a first-generation Kindle user, and it never quite did it for me. Uh, But we have a house that is crammed with books. Everywhere there are books. I just actually installed a little free library so I could get rid of my books. I put extra books in there. Um, And my son put so many books in his 
backpack and not textbooks. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about two D&D manuals and a couple of novels. And his backpack is as heavy as him. So now that he's going to be a middle schooler, there actually will be textbooks in there. And I'm thinking I need to do a little intervention. There's two Kindles that we could choose from, really. There's a a kid bundle, which is $99, and it's the very basic Kindle, but it doesn't have any backlighting. So one of the things I don't know is how important is that backlighting? Well, in mine, I will say mine, being an older one, has no backlighting. Uh, and I haven't really found that to be an issue, but then again, I also tend to read in well-lit places. So first of all, your son is awesome. Um, <laughs> I say that as someone who, who was probably trucking around similar D&D manuals and uh, <laughs> lots of novels when I was his age. So I'm, I'm fully in favor of that. Uh, and, and as someone who is the son of two librarians, there's a lot of books in my life. So I totally understand the, uh, the feeling of, oh, my God, there are so many books. I bought a Kindle a few years ago, uh, and it was at that point, I think it was the cheapest one available. And it was like 80 bucks or something like that. And I've actually gotten a ton of use out of it. And I kind of bounce back and forth between using the Kindle and reading paper books, which I still enjoy. Having all those different point ways to access reading material is great. And I think the Kindle is is fantastic, especially I love it when I'm traveling. And I think similarly, um, if your son is taking it back to school and stuff, the idea that you can fit all these books uh, in there is, is great. Um, as far as which Kindle goes, I think all of them have seemed to have made substantial improvements since the last time I bought a Kindle. Um, and so it seems like even some of the lower end ones now are really solid. I know a lot of people like, uh, I think it was the Paperwhite, um, which it seems like if I'm going to upgrade my Kindle at some point in the future, it would probably be to those and not to the sort of the fanciest top end ones. But um, I, I think a Kindle is a great tool to add to the arsenal and it really does solve the problem of feeling like, um, you know, I, I need to carry around too many books. Um, as far as the backlight question, I think it's absolutely imperative. And, um, you know, if I remember correctly, that kid bundle comes with, um, you know, basically if it breaks, um, they will they will fix it for free, which is, yeah. <laughs> I've seen the way that my friend's kids treat iPads. So I can imagine that being an important feature. But I can say for me, um, you know, I will never use a Kindle that's not paper white again. Um, yeah, this is a really, this is a big paradigm problem that I have in, uh, in the Woo Mary actually, because, you know, Frank is 14 years older than me. He's a huge fan of, um, you know, technology of the past generally and loves physical books. So we have a three-story house and one entire floor of our house is dedicated to all these paperbacks from the 70s. <laughs> and I'm constantly like, come on, baby, can we like do this? So I, I really do think this is legit point though, because like, especially when I was in my early 20s, you know, there's going to college, there is getting your first job, and like packing all of that information with you and carrying it every single time you move, it's it's really an albatross, you know? So I think there's there's that consideration. Like I would imagine that going forward, having all your reading material in a central location that is easily portable, um, I think that would be a really big advantage. If it were me, I would get it for sure, um, you know, but 
I think you could go either way. So I, I'm, I've had almost every Kindle model. And what, what I'll say is, uh, I think uh, Kindles are great for reading text on a page. So, you know, if, if you, it, and they're great because they focus you. It is a great book reader. I love my Kindle a lot. Um, I would right now recommend the paper white. I think the backlighting does make a difference. It's really great in low light. And I mean, you can go without the backlight, but then you're, you're, it's already reduced contrast a little bit. And then you've got to tilt toward the light like you do. Uh, and then it's dark and you're thinking, am I going to clip a book light onto a, yeah. an electronic device? Same That's flame. stupid. And I did that for years. Uh, so uh, I don't think the Voyage is necessary, although I have one. Uh, the paper white is really good. It's got a good screen. It's got a good backlight. That's the one I'd recommend to most people. I don't know. It's a tough decision. Um, the, the, the kid bundle seems like a, a decent deal but at the same time you know I, I feel like the paper white uh, having the backlighting and and all of that is a pretty strong uh, it's a strong product that's the one that I would recommend Sholly Thanks. All right. We have reached the end. Uh, we have time for a very brief bonus question brought to you by MailRoute. I've talked to you about them before. MailRoute is a service that filters your spam before it reaches your mail server. That's the short version of it. You don't have to install any hardware or software. MailRoute uh, receives your mail, sorts it, and then delivers it to your server. Uh, it, it sits between your server and the big bad internet, and it filters out all the spam and viruses and stuff before they hit you. And the result is your inbox is free and clear of spam. Uh, it's easy to set up and reliable. Large organizations like universities and corporations use it as a desktop user you'll find it simple to use and if you're an email administrator or an IT professional they've got all the tools you need including an API for account management and supporting a lot of the buzzwords including of course my favorite mailbagging but also LDAP Active Directory many others the bottom line is you can remove spam from your life for good it won't even reach your server check it out there's a free trial and you can get 10% off of the lifetime of your account by going to mailroute.net slash clockwise today thank you to mailroute for sponsoring the bonus question dan what's the bonus question well this week's bonus question comes to us from listener Catherine, and she suggested we ask what is your favorite workout uh it would be running for sure i love i love running love running I can't really say any workout is a favorite because I hate them all. I have been run- I have been running more lately. I-, I think the one that I enjoy the most, believe it or not, is paddling. I love like getting in a kayak and paddling around, and, and that's a lot of fun. And then you're on the water, and and so that's I- that's what I probably pick. I have a lot of injuries, so that that limits <laughs> what I can do. But what I love best about working out is listening to music. So my current favorite is I do a water aerobics class. It's me and the old ladies. Like Jason, I hate running unless I'm the asterisk to that being running in pursuit of doing something else, which is why I'm an ardent ultimate frisbee player and play a lot of that. And that's definitely my favorite workout of all. Well, Thank you all for your fabulous contributions on that topic. And thank you, Brianna Wu, for being here again. Happy to do it. And Sholly McFarlane, thank you so much for coming back on. My pleasure. And Dan, that's it. Next week, you have to do this. I'm on vacation, so uh, it's all yours next week. Good luck, buddy. Oh, thanks, thanks. I, I think it'll be a good show. One of our best, I'll say. But until then, I will remind you, for this week at least, to watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. 